Well, Uncommon Sense, that if you've not been here for any of that, that what we've been talking about is this thing called wisdom. And so we've been looking at how we can get some uncommon sense, how we grow in that. And we grow in that in this place in our Bible that is very dedicated to writing about wisdom is Proverbs, this book of Proverbs written by the second king of Israel, King Solomon, third king of Israel, I'm sorry, uh, King Solomon, who ended up writing this and, and sharing this. And when he was writing this, he was actually writing this to his son or his sons as, as he was wanting to impart the, this wisdom to them. So as we've looked at some different things, we've looked at the difference between wisdom and knowledge because wisdom is actually rightly applying knowledge. That, that we can all have knowledge of something and, and, and knowledge isn't near as powerful as what wisdom is. And so wisdom is this rightly applying knowledge and that God has given Solomon all of this wisdom. Solomon asked for it and God gave it. And so he became the, the wisest person of his time and he wrote all these things. We also looked at, quote, dangerous friends together. And as we looked at this idea of dangerous friends that are in quote, that we, we know what a dangerous friend is. A dangerous friend is somebody who just stabs you in the back. But, but a, quote, dangerous friend is one who stabs you in the front. That they're the ones that they look you in the eye and, and they tell you the things that you don't want to hear. That they end up wounding your pride and wounding your ego because they love you enough to tell you the hard truth, the difficult things. That they're not going to say, hey, here's some pretty little lies, but no, here's the difficult truth that you actually need to hear. The, 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 the last time I was with you, we talked about relational equity, of, of this thing that, that we need to do, and how, how do we grow in this relational equity, that, that trust, it's the root and the fruit of, of deep relationships, and it's the relationships that find themselves in, in deep and heavy conflict, that the relationships that can actually get past and through the, those, those heavy conflicts are the ones that actually have some relational equity to help carry them through that. Because if we're already upside down and then we have these hard, hard, hard conflicts, it's really hard to get through that difficult time if we don't have relational equity to pull from. Well, last week when I was out, Pat Webb ended up sharing with you guys and talking about being a follower or being, being a fan. And that, that some people, when it comes to Christianity, just settle for, for being a fan, but, but really the value of being a follower and did such a great job of sharing that with you guys and relating that truth to you guys. Well, today we're going to pick back up with Uncommon Sense and we're going to pick back up by talking about a slippery slope is what we're going to talk about. And, and so when it comes to this idea of a slippery slope, that it's important for us to understand what direction in life we're headed in. And for us to be able to know, hey, where, where am I headed when it, when it comes to life? And then for you to also to, to take a look and see and understand, that what, what about the other people that you're doing life with? That, that where are you at in relationship to where they are at? And to be able to look at that and be able to see. Because what we really want is we want relationships that are headed in the same direction. That they're working in tandem, they're working in unison, that there's, there's harmony there, that the same direction, and this could be true of a marriage, it could be true of a different family dynamic, it can be true of a workplace relationship, of, of a neighborhood, of a friendship, a best friend, a group of friends, that you go pick out any one of those individuals and go, hey, where are we at? And, and this, this is where we find the joy in relationships is when we are working together. We're moving in the same direction at the same pace, working for the same things. And so this is same direction. But then there's also working in opposing direction. 
that, that one's going one way, one's going the other. You, you, you've just got this thing going on. And, and when it comes to this, it, that this is where you end up finding yourself, you're, you're so busy, you're so focused on what you're trying to do that, that you're going one way, the other person's so busy, so focused on what they're trying to do, and, and they're going that way, and you just find yourself going in, in different directions. Sometimes you could even have two people in the workplace trying to work on the same project, but they're doing, they're doing this, and they're not working together for that project, and so they're trying to take it two totally different directions. And this, this can happen when it comes to our, our marriages and what we're doing and where we're going and what we're trying to do, what we see is the most important aspect of what we need to be doing for our family, and, and, and it's just, boom, I, I've got to take care of this, you've got to take, and, and, and it's this sense of just moving in, in opposite directions. Another way that we end up seeing relationships happen is working in conflicting directions. And this is different than, hey, you just kind of pass each other and you just kind of, you're going your way and they're going, because conflicting is when you're button heads. No, 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 I think we need, no, 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 we need to, and, and it's this push and, and who's going to get which way and, and, and you get in the standstill, you get in the stalemate and, and you get here and, and we tend to think that this is the harshest, this is the, this is the worst place for relationships to be. It's, it's a bad place. I, I'm not sure it's, it's worse off than any of the other ones that can be difficult. I, I think opposite directions can be difficult as well. But there's one other one and this one might be the most dangerous and that is drifting directions. And, and, and the reason that this one might be the most dangerous is because when you're in conflict, you know it. You, you, both parties, whatever the style, whatever the type of relationship, but both know, hey, we're, we're, we're button heads. It's actually easier to confront it. It's actually easier to go, hey, we know what the issues are and let, let's, let's see if we're gonna get through them or not. But, but see, when you're just going in opposite directions, you're just so busy, it's hard to take the time to say, hey, let's sit down, let, let's regroup, and let's see how we can get moving. In the... But drifting. Drifting is where, you know, you actually started out together at some point. That, that together you were actually on the same page, at the same place, and, and seeing the same things, but, but you just started to drift. And, and what happens in the drifting direction of relationships is you drift for a very long time before you realize that you've been drifting. And because you drift for such a long time before you realize you've been drifting, when you finally wake up to the fact, the reality of, hey, wow, we're, we're really far apart from each other, and you try to look back and see where did that happen, you, you're, just, you're looking way far back trying to figure out, when, when did we start to drift? Where, where, where did this start to go awry? Where, where, where did we stop seeing? I, when did we stop just moving in the same direction together? So it's hard to see. And today as we talk about a slippery slope, this isn't the slippery slope, is this drifting direction. The, the conflicting, it, it's not the slippery slope either. The opposite's not the slippery slope either. Well, what's, what's the slippery slope? The slippery slope is temptation. The temptation is the, the slippery slope. And, and temptation comes in all different flavors and sizes and intensities that, that we all have that. And so instead of just taking and looking at temptation from 30,000 feet and just saying, oh, that's just, a, we're, we're going to come all the way down and get some boots on the ground and, and, and we're going to narrow the focus. And, and where we're going to narrow the focus probably has a lot to do with where I just came from. 
because I was just on vacation last week and, and we just spent some time and there was four of us together, my wife, my daughter, and my dad, and, and, and we just came back from Las Vegas. I, I mean, um, Las Vegas is, uh, is, where we, is where we came from. And, and really, when I, when I think about that place, Las, Las Vegas, when I think about that place, I, I think, well, you know what, that, that is definitely a place that it's very easy to get tempted with lust, that, that it really is. And, and really, I, I think that God really had um, some perfect timing in my life when it came to the teaching calendar, that, to just mapping things out to where I would end up being in this place, Las Vegas, right before I'd be coming here and talking about this slippery slope of lust. And, and really, when I say that, I, I mean that with all sincerity, because I don't have the most perfect of eyes that just always just stay focused on Jesus, that, that my eyes can easily wander and, and, and drift. And so for me to, to be in this place, knowing that as soon as I come back here, that I'm going to be teaching on this slippery slope of lust, that it certainly made me be a lot more attentive to where my eyes were and what I was doing and allowing my eyes and my mind to do while I was there. And so with, with, with that, that, I don't know if you've heard this before, but, but they say that, that when it comes to lust, that, that it's not the first look that gets you in trouble. It's when you decide to look again, that that's where they say sin begins. And I, I certainly was aware of that while I was in Vegas. And so, you know, here's another thing to know about lust is lust is a temptation that, that can hit you just like that. That, that you didn't necessarily, it's not just a slow lingering thing. It just, it can just boom, it just, it just hits you. You didn't, you didn't try to do it. It just, it just, it just hits you and it comes at you so fast. And, and so because it's not really the first look that gets you in trouble, it's the, it's the second look that they say is sin. And I was certainly aware of this, that, that as soon as that lust popped into where my blinders were, it was like, first look, first look, first look, first look. Okay, look away, look away, look away. Um, but don't look again, you know. But, but, but really, if you linger too long, then yes, then that one's going to be sin too. And so we've got this thing called lust, and, and it's, it's so prevalent in, in, in our society that, that, that we live at a time that it seems to me like it's a, it's a show more skin time than any other time that, that I know of, that, that when I think about the time that we're living in, we have more access to lust, 24-7, high-speed access to lust, than any other time in history. That, that we, we could do this in privacy. We, we could actually go seek it out instead of waiting for it to seek us out. Lust. And so it's something that, that we need to be aware of. And I don't think that lust is actually a modern day, modern society problem. That it's something that has been around for at least 3,000 years. Because if it hadn't have been around for at least 3,000 years, then we wouldn't get the words of warning from King Solomon that he wrote to his sons that we find in Proverbs chapter 7. 
And so we're going to get to Proverbs chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 6 with what we read. But let me just catch you up to, to what he says in those first five verses. That he's already taken six chapters worth of content and talked to, to his boys about some other practical things regarding wisdom. And then when he gets to chapter seven, he's about 23, 24% into this memoir, that this, this book, these, these wisdom things that he's sharing, that he gets to this topic of lust. And as he gets to this, right before he addresses it, he tells his sons, listen to my teachings. Heed them. Bind them on your hands so that so you'd be constantly reminded of what I'm telling you. Put them on the tablet of your heart. That a tablet for them wasn't this little data point. It was a permanent inscription. Put that on the tablet of your heart. He would say to them, see wisdom and treat wisdom as your sister, always keeping her around. That, 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 that's how you would, you would see that. The insight as, as another close relative that, that has your back. And then he gave this warning. And the warning was that there are going to be those that are gonna come at you and pursue you in an adulterous relationship. There's going to be people that are going to want to seduce you. But heed to my teachings. And then we get to verse six. He says, at the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple. I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. Now Solomon's not saying that, that if you're a youth, a teenager, that you have no sense. And that's not what he's saying. But, but what he is saying, and I think this is after he saw everything play out, that he's backing up and seeing things, how they played out, that, that he's just saying, hey, here was just a, a simple-minded group. And, and with this simple-minded group, here was one individual that he just didn't have any, any sense about him. That the simple-minded, that the opposite would be being strategically minded. And he didn't have a strategic mind. He wasn't being strategic with what he was doing. That these, these groups, they were just going, hey, we're just gonna take the simple approach with life. Verse eight, he was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight. As the day was fading, as the dark of night sets in. Now, he never tells us her name, but I like to kind of imagine more and try to, you know, make it a little more personal. And so, so I, I have a name for her and, and we're going to call her Lestitia is her name. And, and, and so the, there, there he is and he looks and, and, and she is there and, and he's going near her house and, and lust will tug you toward the wrong place at the wrong time. That, that's what lust will do. It'll just tug you toward the wrong place at the wrong time. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. I, I actually think that, that lust and cheetahs have a lot in common. Now, I said cheetahs, not cheetos. So if you like your cheetos, then no, no worries, right? But cheetahs, I think they have some things in common. That, that when I think about a cheetah, a cheetah is fast. 
Matter of fact, when a cheetah's in full stride, that they will actually, in full stride, they will actually cover 21 feet in the air as they're running. That's fast. That a cheetah, they're quick. Well, how quick are they? That zero to 60 in three seconds. That's how fast they just, boom, they just get up and they just get going. The, the cheetahs, the, they are these, this animal, then we look at them and they go, hey, they seem really, really strong and really resilient. Because when you look at, at a cheetah and just how strong they are, that from start to finish, they can cover 100 yards in under six seconds. Now, put that in comparison to the fastest known man, Usain Bolt, and it takes him almost 10 seconds to cover that same distance. That, that really, that these cheetahs, they're just fast and, and, and they seem that they're just resilient and strong with what they can do. That, that here's a little fact about a cheetah that, that you might not know. That cheetahs don't roar. That they meow. That, that when we look at the, the big cats that roar, you've got your lions, your tigers, your leopards, your jaguars. They, they roar and they intimidate with their roar. But cheetahs don't roar. That they don't intimidate that way. That they meow. The, the other thing that they do is they purr. They're just they're these purring cats. And, and, and so when we, we think about cheetahs and we understand all these facts, well, there's, there's one other thing, and you might know this one about them, is that, that a cheetah, it, it, it does its chases, it does its hunts, and it will give up after a 1,000 Yards, that that's all it's got in it, that, that it can go for a thousand yards and, and, and then it is winded and it is, it's done. And so it, it's, it's, it's so quick and it'll try to get there and if it gets its catch, but when it's successful getting its catch, because it gets so winded at running at such intense speeds, that cheetahs typically take about a half an hour between the catch and the consuming of the catch because they need to catch their breath because they've, they've run out. And, and this is where I see that all these similarities is that, that lust, it, it is, it's, it's, it's fast, it, it's quick. I mean, it, you just didn't see it coming and boom, all of a sudden it, it's right there. It's, you know, your blinders were up, however your blinders work. And, and, and it just, it's just all of a sudden, it's just there and it's, it's in sight. And it seems strong. It seems like, uh, how am I gonna be able to resist this? I, I don't know that I can, this is too strong. I'm, I'm just gonna have to cave in. It, it seems like it's got all that strength. The, the, the thing about the, the, the lust is, it doesn't roar. It doesn't cause us to intimidate and jump back. Instead, it uh, seems to have this perfect timing and it just purrs its way into our lives. And we're just like, oh, well, there you are. And you seem kind of nice and sweet. And, and, and so just, just, the, just the way that it purrs in. But lust, lust won't keep coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. That the, the lust runs out of steam. And so if you're willing to resist it, while it's strong and it's coming at you quick, it will run out of steam. And, and we need to know this. And this. As it runs out of steam, that, that this is where we can resist because it's not gonna just constantly keep coming at us. We can go after it constantly, but it's not gonna keep coming after us. 
And so we can have this determination to be able to resist it and to be able to overcome it. Because lust, it just runs in sprints and then it gets winded. It's far different than love. See, love moves at a marathon pace. Love works at this, hey, I, I want to go the distance. And so we see these two differences. Well, let's get back to what Solomon was writing. It says, then out came a woman, and we know her as Lestitia, to meet him and dressed like a prostitute with a crafty intent that, that, that she knew full well what she was doing. Verse 11, she is unruly and defiant and her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him with a brazen face. She said, today I fulfilled my vows and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. It really isn't a description that we would expect to see her saying, I have fulfilled my vows. That, that really, if we were to understand the context of this, that she's saying, hey, I had this, this fellowship vow that I've done and, and I've made myself right before God, so I'm clean and, and I'm good, so, so, so we're okay. So, so hey, we, we've done this. It's, it's almost like she says, hey, uh, cutie, um, I just came from church. Uh, let's hook up. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that's literally what, what she is doing here when she says this and she finds him this way. And so when we look at this and we see what's happening, verse 16, she says, I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt and I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning and let's enjoy ourselves with love. I find it very interesting that the word that, that she uses here is, is love. Here's something that we should all be aware of. That lust impersonates love. That it does. It, it will impersonate it. It, it will say, hey, I, I've got something more exciting to offer, but it's got love too. And it, it does. It just wants to impersonate love. And, and what else I find interesting is, is, is the world, it refers to having sex as making what? Making love. And yes, I believe there are times that, that sex is making love, but I also believe there are plenty of times when sex is not making love, that sex is selfish, self-seeking, and not about loving the other and not about what genuine love really is. She goes on, she says, my husband is not at home and he has gone on a long journey and he took his purse filled with money and he will not be home till full, till full moon. And with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk and all at once he followed her like an ox to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare little knowing it will cost him his life 
And Solomon's near the end of, of what he wants to say to his boys regarding this. In fact, we only see four more verses that are left, and I'll actually refer to these four last verses as some famous lust words that he has. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims that she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. So let's not forget who Solomon is writing this to. He's writing this to his sons. He wants to protect his sons from becoming like the man in this story. That's what he's after. And so I've got a question for you that I want you to ponder. When did things go wrong for this man? When did things go south for this young man that we just got to see the whole entire story unfold? Would you identify that, that things went wrong when it was his first glance? Was it the, the small talk? Was that when you would say things went wrong? Was it the, the second glance is when you would say things went wrong? Was it the kiss is where things went wrong? Was it when he accepted the invitation to come into our home? Was that when things went wrong? When he actually saw the bedroom with the fresh linens? Was that when things went wrong. I wonder where you would identify, where you would say, right there, that, that is the moment when things went wrong. That is when things went south. There, there's something interesting about ancient writings. And in ancient writings, that they had these things that they would refer to as the, the bookends. And, and, and the bookends for them is where they would put their emphasis that this is where they, they would really just say, hey, right here and right here, th th this is the, the real emphasis that I want you guys to see. And so let's just look at the bookends again, seeing them as the bookends. And so look at Proverbs 7, verses 8 and 9. He was going down the street corner, going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. That, that, that first bookend. And what's the second book in? Verse 25. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her path. These are the two memorable pieces. This is what he was doing. Don't let yours do this. That for him, where did things start to go astray, start to go wrong, start to go south? Is when he willingly put himself on her path. That is when things went south. You know, lust always begins in the mind. That, that, that's where it begins. That another way to understand this is that, that adultery, it starts in the head before it ever moves to the bed. And that, that we've got to go, hey, we've got to get control of what we're allowing our mind to dwell on to think about, what, what we're allowing our eyes to just gaze after and long after. 
And this is where we have to take control and we have to be serious about what we want to be doing and what we want for ourselves, for our relationship with our Heavenly Father, for our relationship before we're married to our, to our spouse. Maybe it's for a future relationship we're going to be having. That, but we go, I want to be committed to these relationships, one with myself, one with my God, one with my significant other. I, I wanted to take a, a few moments to unmask the truth about lust. Of, of, of five things that, that we need to see as, as these truths about lust. That, that lust, it facilitates deception. It just facilitates it. That says, hey, here, here's a way that, that, that you can be deceitful, that, that, that they don't really need to know that, that you're not content or you're not happy or that you want more. Here, here, it, it just facilitates deception. That one of the things about lust is lust feeds desires. It feeds it. That, that, that we've all been given a, a, a sexual desire by God. And as we've been given this desire, that desire is not bad. God also gave us a context in which we should satisfy that appetite. And that context is in a covenant relationship called marriage. That's where that sexual appetite, by God's design, should be satisfied. And so when we look at lust, yes, it feeds desire. But lust, it also, it fuels disaster. That it just keeps pouring gasoline, it fuels disaster. And, and, and as, as disaster will come, the longer you linger in lust, the, the greater the disaster might be. And so we need to beware and be cautious of lust. The fourth thing is that lust, it fractures duty. That duty that we have to God, that duty that we have to our current spouse, our future spouse, it, it fractures that duty. And lust favors doubt. It favors it. Well, I, I doubt it'll be a problem. I doubt they'll ever know. I doubt it'll hurt anything. It just, it favors doubt. You see, Solomon, what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to give his sons wisdom so that they won't one day ruin their life because of the seduction of lust. That, that, that they'll heed what, just what it is that he has to share. And this is something for you and I to be learning from as well. And I, and I wanna share with you two other verses, two other significant statements that he has prior made to his boys. That I think in light of, of this context of, of lust, become huge insights for us. The first one is found in, in Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. Guard it. That above all else, guard your heart for everything you do, it flows from it. This is a life verse for me. This is one of those verses when, when somebody says, hey, here's a Bible, and what would you highlight? What would you mark? I just instantly turn here. Guard your heart 
Above all else, this is what you need to do. Guard your heart. Why is this so important? Because everything you do, it flows from it. And Solomon, he's letting his boys know that if, if, you, wanna, if you wanna get ahead of the game, the lust game that's gonna be coming at you, because it's gonna come running and gunning for you, then you need to have wisdom. And wisdom says you're gonna need to have a strategy. You can't just be simple-minded. You're gonna have to be strategic and going, what are you going to do to make sure that this doesn't become a problem? Very early in our marriage, Cheryl and I have been married 28 years. And within the very first year of our marriage, it might have even just been weeks, we sat down and we made this covenant with each other and we said, if we are ever going to be alone with somebody of the opposite sex, we'll let you know in advance and get your permission. And, and this is just something we wanted for each other, but not only did we want this for each other, but we also wanted this because we never wanted to be in a situation where somebody was going to have a conversation with us because they saw the other one with somebody of the opposite sex and they were just by themselves. That we always wanted to be able to say that we knew what was going on. Oh, oh yes, she was having lunch, a uh, business lunch with her boss, John. And yeah, she let me know about that in advance. In fact, they were at, and to just be able to say, and, and it's like, oh, you know, but you know, that's something that really doesn't happen very often with us. It's a very rare thing. In fact, it's happened less than 10 times in 28 years of marriage that this has happened for us. Because it's just one of these ways that we just want to protect our relationship. It's one of the ways that we want to keep staying on the same page, moving in the same direction. It's too easy. There's so many different things that cause us and, and says, hey, why don't you just move in an opposite direction? There's so many things that can cause us to be conflicting. There's so many things that we cause that we can say, hey, let's nip this one in the bud and let's just make sure that we don't get away and astray with this one. And it served us very well. And I realize there's some of you guys, you're like going, yeah, my, 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 because of what I do for a living, that could never happen. I have to, I, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if there's ways for, for you to circumvent that. I don't know if there's ways for, for, for you to avoid that and to change things up a little. But I do know that the more strategic you are, not simple-minded, but strategic you are, the greater it's going to be for you to be able to resist any temptation of lust. Because adultery begins in the head before it leads to the bad. That's why this is so important that we need to, above all else, that we would guard our heart. Well, there's one other verse that he had said that I think is also very relevant for this. It's in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. And he says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. That when you enter into that covenant relationship, that's the well that you draw from for you to satisfy these God-given sexual desires that you have. That drink from your own well, draw from your own cistern that we would do this. That the longer and further you drift apart, the more likely you will flirt with disaster. So it's why we need to get this under control. Because lust creates its greatest havoc 
on our lives when we put ourselves in tempting places. That lust, it, it will wreak the greatest havoc on our lives when we don't guard our mind. Something that I've been doing for over 30 years now, before I was even married, and I've talked about it before, but I do accountability. And I have at least one other guy. Sometimes it's been three of us. Sometimes it's been four of us. But I have one other guy that I answer to twice a month. And I, I answer to him, and, and he has to answer to me too. And, and, and we ask each other some, some in-your-face questions. How's your Bible time? You getting alone with God daily? We ask each other, how's your, how's your prayer life? How are you doing with that? We ask each other, how's your family time? We ask each other, have you exposed yourself to any sexually explicit material? We ask each other, have you been alone with somebody that was using poor judgment or could have even appeared to others as using poor judgment? These are questions that we ask every time we get together because we want to hold each other accountable. It's all about guarding our mind. And, and another thing about lust, and it, it creates its greatest havoc on us when we decide that we're just gonna do life alone. That, that, that we're just gonna, hey, we'll face temptation on our own and we're gonna conquer it on our own. And when we just let that thing be a private thing that it usually keeps us from having private victories and we lead to more private failures. And lust wreaks havoc on us when we are distant from God, when we're not close to Him. And so these, these are the things that we need to heed to. It's going, I, I'm, I'm not gonna be in places where I'm gonna put myself in these tempting places. I, I'm going to keep my mind on guard. I'm not going to just do life alone and try to get over this on my own and my own ability. And I'm certainly not going to settle for a distant relationship with God. And when we get these things in check and in place, then it's going to be very easy to have some tight blinders. And when that glance comes, it's just, we just move away. And we do not let the temptation of lust lead to sin in our lives. I hope that you'll take this. This will be encouraging to you, not discouraging to you. And encouraging to you about what you can do so that you can have a relationship with yourself that's true and authentic. A relationship with God that is honoring Him and a relationship to your significant other that is valuing them because we don't let lust ruin ourself, our relationship with God, and our relationship with the person that we love most. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words of warning. God, I pray for those that just need this conviction right now because God, this is a word that every single one of us need, including me. 
and for us to be able to heed this warning. God, draw us closer to you. God, lead us to be true to the person you've created us to be and to value the one that we would have a covenant relationship with. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.